The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Get your Bibles out. Get whatever you need to do to put yourself in a posture to hear, to have ears that are hearing today. I believe this is a message that is really going to minister to you. We're going to be starting off in the book of John 19, starting in verse 28. Um, But if you're just now joining us for the first time, we're currently in a seven-part series that has been incredible so far. And it's leading us up into Easter and to the resurrection of Jesus, this series has been called Dying Words. Dying Words. Has anybody gotten some just incredible, incredible words from God this series? It's been so good. And in this series, we're looking at the words Jesus gives us from the cross. These seven statements that Jesus gives us from his crucifixion. We've talked about this before a couple times already. These are not his final words. They're not the last words of Jesus because Jesus is alive Amen. Jesus is fully well, and he is still speaking today. So they're not his last words, but they are his dying words. And so because they're dying, there's some weight to these words. They're worth careful attention. They're worth us taking a seven-week series to really hone in and see what Jesus is trying to say to us. Because in this moment of excruciating pain, terrible suffering, Jesus is not just blurting out words into the sky. He's not just saying the first thing that comes into his mind because he's in pain. He knows exactly what he's saying. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. And even under literally the, the worst circumstances that any person has ever been under in all of history, Jesus in this moment, it's beautiful. He is still giving from the cross. He's still giving. He's still speaking. He didn't have to say a single thing once he got up on that cross because it would have been excruciating for him to lift himself up just to get the words out. But what do we see in our Jesus? He still loves. He still gives. He's still speaking. I love what one pastor says about this. He says this, Jesus is bringing his final sermon, a message of all time to be proclaimed, I love this, from the elevated pulpit of his cross. Jesus, in this moment, what I want you to see is he's not just speaking, he's preaching. Jesus is preaching from his cross. And we've had some really incredible words already, uh, some messages out of the house we've already talked about. uh, In week one, we looked at Jesus. He's preaching enemy love to us. Even from the cross, he's still preaching from uh, forgiveness. Then we talked about how Jesus, even on the cross, is still preaching. Look to your neighbor. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You can still serve you can still love. Then we looked at how Jesus says from the cross, behold the family of God. What does that mean? Look around, all these people in the church today, look at all this. This is not just the people you do church with. This is not just the church you attend or tithe to or serve to every now and then. No, no, these are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And then last week, we got our pastor back. Was anybody excited about that? Man. Pastor Josh preached an incredible word on on the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you've missed any of the messages in this series, go back. I promise you, 
you will not regret it. Go back and listen to them. But let's get into the word for tonight, uh, or this morning. I keep doing that. It's easy to do that. This morning, John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. At this point in the crucifixion, uh, the words that we're about to read and focus on this morning, they happen directly after the phrase that we learned about last week. What did Jesus say? He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the words that we're going to read today happen right after that and right before the ripping of the veil and the dead being raised, which would have been crazy to see. Hello. And then the, the Roman soldiers at the cross receiving that revelation that, oh my gosh, this is Jesus. So this word that we're going to read is sandwiched in between those two circumstances. Look at this, verse 28. It says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scriptures. You should, if you have a Bible with you, underline that whole sentence. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth and when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Okay, so today we're going to look at the first two words from Jesus, that statement where Jesus says, I thirst. But before we do, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit in to speak to us this morning. Father God, I thank you so much that the spirit of Jesus is in this room, that the son of suffering that we just sang about and just glorified is not suffering anymore, but that he is well and alive and active and moving and speaking. I thank you that that same Jesus on the cross that preached these phrases is the same Jesus preaching today, the same Jesus here speaking to hearts. And so we invite you in Holy Spirit to speak and to reveal to us what you are trying to say to us through this statement. We love you, God. This is all for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, so Jesus on the cross, he's on the cross. He says, I thirst, I thirst. Now, uh, funny story real quick. Last year, towards the end of the year, uh, as a staff, we were given the teaching schedule and the series calendar for 2022. And when I got this, I was so excited. I love getting to see like, oh, where are we going next year? And I'm looking through all the series, the incredible topics that we're going to be diving into in 2022. And I come across dying words. And I'm like, no way. We're doing a series on dying words. Let's go. I was so excited about it. And then I look a little further and I'm like, oh, I got a weekend in there. No way. Let's go. And I was like, oh man, I hope they gave me, it is finished. Oh man, that could preach so good. Or like, I hope they gave me, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. Oh man, I could preach a good message on that. And I take a little bit of a deeper look and I see I thirst with Jackson Wilson next to it. And my, my excitement went from let's go to, oh no. <laughs> oh no. I was like, how am I gonna preach for 30 minutes on I thirst, what? I was like, I don't know what you're gonna do with this, God, but I need your help. Maybe, maybe you've read this phrase from Jesus on, on the cross 
And you've had the same thought as me when you hear this. It's like, Jesus, what did you mean when you said, I thirst? Like, when you compare that phrase to the other six statements from the cross, it seems kind of out of place. It seems like random. The other ones are so deep and profound, and they have this, this weightiness to them. But then Jesus says, I thirst. And it's like, Jesus, what did you, what did you mean by that? And I remember that's how I was, like literally a week and a half ago before I started prepping, prepping for this message. But my prayer for you today, New Song, is that you would receive the revelation that I feel like Jesus gave me for this because this is Jesus preaching on the cross. Even in this moment on the cross, when Jesus says, I thirst, I'm telling you, Jesus knows how to preach a good sermon. Jesus on the cross can simply say two words, I thirst, and he's already preaching a better message than I will preach for the rest of my life because his words are so good. His words are so holy. His words are perfect. His words are so good that he can say two words and 2,000 years later, we're still in all of them. We're still like, Jesus, you are worthy. And so let's dig into this text. You ready? Let's see what God says and what God is trying to communicate through I thirst. Now, as I was digging into this, one of the reasons why this is kind of a confusing request from Jesus when he says, I thirst, it's not confusing because of the situation that he's in. Like if we think about it, Jesus is being crucified at this moment. Of course he's thirsty. Of course he's asking for a drink. Like think about this. By this point in the crucifixion, Jesus has been awake for at least 36 hours. He hasn't eaten or drinking anything since the Last Supper. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. He's had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's been beaten and mocked and spit on. By this point, he has carried his cross, which would have weighed at least 100 pounds on that beaten up back. He's had nails driven through his wrists, nails driven into his feet, He's been raised up on his cross, and for the first three hours, he baked in the sun and then was up there for another three hours. By this point, when you take in all of the horrific details of the cross, it makes perfect sense why Jesus says, I thirst, right? It makes perfect sense. He's bleeding out. He's dying. He's dehydrated. Here's what's confusing about this request of I thirst What's confusing is that at the beginning of the cross, when he is first nailed to the cross, if you'll remember in the timeline, he's actually offered a drink, but he refuses to take it. Look at this. I want to show you this in Mark 15, verse 21. It says, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of skull. Look at this, verse 23. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So at the start of the cross, this is uh, something that was customary for Roman soldiers. They did crucifixions all the time. And when somebody would be crucified, they would offer the criminals or the people being sentenced to death this strong drink, this sour wine. And they would do it as a way to help numb the pain of what they were about to experience. And I guarantee you, 99.99999% of people on that cross were like, I will take that. Yes, I will take the sour wine. But 
Jesus doesn't take it. He says, no. Why doesn't Jesus take the sour wine? I love what theologian F.F. Bruce says. He says, the wine would have been the sour wine or Pascha, water, wine, and vinegar used by Roman soldiers. In Mark, Jesus declines the wine, apparently without tasting. Here's why. Desiring to suffer with a clear mind. Jesus refuses this gift of not having to fully experience the cross, of not having to fully experience the pain that he's about to endure. He says, no, I'm not going to take it. Why? So that he can keep giving. Because think about this. If Jesus had taken that sour wine, he would have risked not being sober-minded. He would have risked not being in his right mind, not being able to say the words from the cross to continue to preach his message from the cross, to continue to love us with every word that he says. And so he says, no, I'm not going to take this so I can have a clear mind, so I can keep preaching, so I can fully experience what I've been called to experience. So Jesus says, no, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take the wine. But then at the end of his cross, just moments before he dies, then he says, I thirst. So what's going on? Why is Jesus asking for something? Why does he say, I thirst? Well, as I was diving into this topic and just diving into the text and studying, what I found at, uh, was that uh, the theologians in the church and uh, just people in general over the last 2,000 years have really taken these two words from Jesus a lot of different ways. The church as a whole has believed a lot of different reasons why Jesus said, I thirst. And as I was diving into this topic and studying it, can I tell you, every single one of these reasons, I was like, dude, this preaches a good message. And so I was like, I'm going to throw them all in. So I've got three of the main interpretations for why Jesus says this statement, I thirst. Three of the main ways that theologians and pastors in the church as a whole has taken this quote from Jesus. Um, and just a heads up, because I want you to hang in with me to the very end. I'm saving the best for last, okay? So don't check out. But the first reason why Jesus says, I thirst, is because of this. Write this down. Divine providence. Divine providence. Okay, what am I saying when I say providence? What am I talking about? Well, that's actually a theological term. Here's what the definition of it is. It's the foresight or making provision beforehand. So providence has to do with two attributes of God that are showing up in this moment on the cross. The first one is something you've probably heard of before. It's the omniscience of God. Y'all heard the omniscience of God before? The omniscience of God. What does that mean? Omni means all, and science is the root word of that. Omniscience is all-knowing. So Jesus is in this moment aligning himself with the, the fact that God knew before the foundation of the earth that this was going to be the thing that was happening. It preaches to the omniscience of God, but it also preaches to another attribute of God that's really important for us to know about, and that's the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Now, that's a, that's a, a theological term that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but here's what God is preaching through this moment. Even in the darkest moment, or what seemed like the darkest moment of all creation, God had a plan. This was actually always part of the plan. God had seen this before. 
He knew about it, but not only did he know about it, he was orchestrating beautifully all of these details in this moment of the cross to help let everybody know for all time that Jesus was really who he said he was. I want you to look at this. In 19, or chapter 19, verse 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said, why did he say, I thirst? To fulfill the scriptures. So Jesus on the cross, what he's doing right here, we can miss it if we're, not, if we're not careful. He's on the cross and he knows that what he's about to say is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy written about him. There's actually a passage in Psalm 69 that talks about this. It's talking about the Messiah. Look at this, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. So this is crazy. I hope you get this. In this moment, Jesus recognizes what is happening. And he says, I thirst in order to let everybody there know, I am who I said I was. I am the son of God. You need to know this about Jesus. This is crazy. There were 300 prophetic messages written about Jesus before he ever stepped foot onto the earth, 400 plus years before, and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them in his lifetime. I want to read you a couple of these that he fulfilled. This is just eight. The time of his birth was prophesied in, in, the, in Daniel chapter eight and nine. The fact that he would be born in Bethlehem is talked about in Micah 5 2. The fact that he would be born of a virgin is in Isaiah 14. The fact that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11:12, That he would be mocked, that he would be crucified, that he would be pierced, that he would die with the wicked, but that he would be buried with the rich. Jesus fulfilled all of these and more in his lifetime. And the probability of that actually happening is ridiculous. In fact, there was a Christian scientist, and I'm not talking about like the weird like denomination Christian scientist, like a, a scientist who was a Christian <laughs> named Peter Stoner, and he did a study on the probability of Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. This is crazy. He was like, I want to know what the chances are of this randomly happening. This guy named Jesus showing up and just randomly fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. What's the chance of that happening? So he did a study on this, and he didn't do all 300. He, he took a conservative route. He's like, let's just see what the probability of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled. The probability of Jesus coming to this earth in his lifetime and randomly fulfilling eight pr prophecies is the, is the same as one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's a one with 17 zeros behind it. Here's what that's like to help illustrate this. That's like taking the state of Texas which Texas is massive. If you've ever been there, you can drive in it forever and still be in Texas. You take all of Texas, you bury it two feet deep with quarters. I take you into the middle of Waco and I take a quarter and I put a dot on it and I throw it out into the field and then I blindfold you and I throw you out there and I say, if you pick up the quarter that I marked on the first try, that's the same probability of Jesus randomly fulfilling eight Old Testament prophecies. Check this out. Jesus fulfilled all 300. Church, only our Jesus. Only our Jesus. And listen to me. In this moment of the worst pain 
the worst suffering that anybody could have ever experienced, Jesus, in this moment, knows exactly what he's doing. He is aligning himself with things written about him 400 plus years before he ever stepped foot on the earth. And he says, I thirst. Why? To fulfill the scriptures, to fulfill what it was said. He's aligning himself with God's perfect plan. And not only that, this is so cool. John, the writer, he adds this really cool detail that he did not add in there by accident. He added this because he knew adding this would make every Jewish reader jump out of their seat when they saw this. Look at this. It says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch. Somebody say hyssop. Hyssop. They put it on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. Now, John, when he writes this, he didn't just say it was a reed. He didn't just say it was a branch. He knew exactly what he was doing when he wrote hyssop branch. And when he clarified what it was, John in this moment is preaching. Because if you were a Jewish person that read that at the time, you knew exactly what the hyssop branch was. It represents two things for you, cleansing and deliverance. Cleansing and deliverance. Here's why. It's because the hyssop branch was the very same branch that in Egypt, the children of Israel would dip into the blood of the lamb and put onto the doorpost. So that when the angel of death would come by, they would see you and they'd be like, oh, you're good. You're clean. I'm not touching you. So it was a picture of cleansing. And David actually writes about this in Psalm 51 after he has his affair, uh uh-oh, with Bathsheba. Look at this. Psalm 51, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Sounds like the gospel, right? So John adds this in here. Not randomly. He's like, no, no, no. Jesus is your cleansing, but he's not just the cleansing because the hyssop branch was the thing that you used in Passover. What is Passover about? It's about being delivered from a bad kingdom. It's about being delivered to a better kingdom. And so Jesus, this is so cool, in this moment on the cross says, I thirst. The hyssop branch comes up and everybody there sees, oh, you're the Passover lamb. Like this Passover lamb that we've been celebrating for for thousands of years. Jesus, you're the Passover lamb. How cool is this church? This is divine providence. This is like like my dad says, this is just God showing off. You know when God does stuff in your life and it's like only God? That is what's happening here. And here's why that preaches a message to you, church. Man, we get so caught up in the details. Can I tell you, God cares about the details way more than you do. And God is sovereign, and he's omniscient, and guess what? He knows. He has a plan. So I don't know what you're walking through, but somebody needs to know that today. God has the ability to work all things together for the good of those who love him. God, even in the darkest moments of all of history, look at what he's doing. He's orchestrating all of these details to make a beautiful symphony. In this moment, we see divine providence God's perfect plan. The second thing we see is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. We see divine humility. Divine humility. This is the second and one of the more popular ways to interpret this phrase from Jesus. Jesus on the cross, he says, I thirst. And a lot of people will take it as this. It's divine humility. I believe it's a great way to take this. Jesus making himself lower than the angels, humbling himself, leaving his home in heaven, putting on flesh, even to the point of being on the cross, still humbling himself and saying, 
I thirst. And a lot of people will take this as, we're not supposed to just look at that, that phrase, I thirst, by itself. They'll say that I thirst is actually supposed to be connected with the next phrase. What is the next thing Jesus says? Well, it's the last phrase, one of the last messages he preaches to us. It's the final death blow against the enemy. He says, it is finished. And there will be, uh, there's an, the interpretation is this, Jesus, in this moment, he needed to clear his throat, to trumpet that last message. I love what Jack Hayford says about this. He says, the one reason Jesus asked for something to drink had to do with what he was about to say. The biblical setting made that unmistakably clear. As the word incarnate was about to bring his final sermon, a message for all time to be proclaimed from the elevated pulpit of his cross, look at this, he needed to clear his voice. The announcement to follow is not to be muttered or choked, but trumpeted. I love that. Trumpeted so all mankind throughout all history would be able to hear it. But to prepare for that moment, he needed help. So Jesus, in this moment, the Son of God, who really at any point could have called on angels to save him, at any moment could have just walked off of that cross because he's the Son of God, still humbling himself, but not just to get his, his thirst quenched. Why? In order that he would proclaim what God called him to say. And here's what that means for us. If Jesus, the Son of God, was willing to humble himself, how much more do we need to ask for help? I'll tell you, much more. Much more. How are you doing with that, church? How are you doing with making your needs known to, not just to God, but to your brothers and your sisters in Christ? Or is pride something that keeps you from going to another person and asking for help? Because here's what we see in Jesus' story. Even Jesus needed the help from others in order to say the last thing he was called to say. Look at this. I love what James says at the end of James chapter five. He makes this really practical for us. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Okay, James, what should we do when we're sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. What does that mean? You need to let people know. Let them pray over you and anoint you with oil so you, uh, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Look at this. He gets even more practical. And if, uh, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. But what do you do after you're forgiven? Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Ask for help. Don't be prideful. You need help. Go to the church. Go to a brother. Go to a sister. Let them know why, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power in its working. What do we see in this cry for help when Jesus says, I thirst? We see Jesus being willing, even to the point of death, to humble himself, to let, himself, to let his needs be made known in order that he might walk out what God has called him to. I wonder what God is waiting for you to be humble about, to let your brother or sister of Christ know so that the word of God can be preached through your life. This is what God wants to do. What do we see in this moment? We see divine humility modeled for us. We see divine providence on display. And the last one is this, and this is where it gets good, is this is an act of divine thirst. This is an act of divine 
thirst. Jesus says this statement. He says, I thirst. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It seems random. But maybe, just maybe, it's because we have only thought about it from a physical thirst. We've categorized it in our brain as Jesus saying, I need a drink. I need some water. But could it be that Jesus was not talking about water? Could it be that there was something else that Jesus was actually thirsting for in this moment? I think there is. And there's actually a lot of scriptures I'm about to read to you where Jesus is hinting at this. He's foreshadowing uh, this to his disciples and his disciples are not getting it. They're not understanding what Jesus is talking about. But here at the cross, it makes perfect sense. Look at this, Matthew 20, starting in verse 20, it says this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, uh, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So she's like, hey, Jesus, can my boys be like the top dogs in your kingdom? Can they sit next to you? Like, they've been so nice to you. They deserve it. And Jesus, so sweetly, he says to her, you don't know what you're asking. Look at this next verse. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Look at this, Matthew 26 in the garden. And he went a little farther beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. I got one more for you, John 18. This is right after Peter gets all spicy and chops that dude's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, calm down, bro. <laughs> You're not getting it. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the, she the sheath. Look at this. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? What in the world was Jesus thirsting for in this moment? Listen to me, church. I don't think it was just a natural thirst. I think it was a divine thirst. Jesus, in this moment, he is thirsting to fully complete the will of God for his life. What was the will of God for Jesus? It was the cup. He thirsted for the cup of suffering. Why? So that your thirst could be met through him. Like, think about this for a second, church. This is really deep. Jesus, on the cross, the last few moments of his life, he would rather thirst for the cup of suffering than to get off of that cross and be comfortable. In this moment, Jesus says, I want it all, God. I thirst for the cup because I thirst for you. I thirst for them. Look at this. I love what St. Augustine says about this. He says, the Samaritan woman at the well, or found the, found, at the well found the Lord thirsting, and by him thirsting, she was filled. She first found him thirsting in order that he might drink from her faith. Look at this next part. And when he was on the cross, he said, I thirst. Although they did not give him that, what he, that which he was thirsting, for he was thirsting for them. So Jesus in this moment says, I thirst. And everybody there's like, somebody get him some water. Somebody get him some wine. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I thirst for the cup because I thirst for you. I thirst to fully walk out the will of God in my life, even if that means taking this cup because it's God's will for me. 
And on the other side of God's will for me, listen to me, is your thirst being quenched through him. And look at this. This is what's so cool about this. Jesus had a divine thirst. It was to accomplish the will of God in his life, to take on that cup. And you and I have a divine thirst in us. We've been given a divine thirst. And can I tell you that thirst will not be met through that position you're trying to get. It will not be met through that spouse. It will not be met through that pair of shoes that you're saving up for. Here's what your thirst is. Your thirst is like Jesus. It's to know God and it is to do the will of God in your life. You, like Jesus, have a divine thirst that cannot be met with the saturated corn syrup, high fructose uh, thirsts that the world tries to offer you in life. Like the material stuff, the, the relationships, all of that will leave you thirsty. It will leave you thirsty, but look at what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman. Everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. What is he talking about? He's talking about worldliness. He's talking about the, the things of this world, having good circumstances, all that stuff, you're gonna be thirsty. But everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Church, this is a beautiful message that Jesus preaches from the cross. What does he say? He says, I thirst. And in just two words, what do we learn? We learn that God, he's got a plan. He always had a plan. Even in the darkest moments of creation, his plan is still working. He's still orchestrating. What do we see? We see Jesus is willing to be humble. Jesus is willing to ask for help. Are you? Are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to make your needs met? or met, get them met by making them known and laying down your pride? And what do we finally see? We see that Jesus, what he really thirsted for was not a drink. He thirsted for you. He thirsted for me. And because he thirsted for us, he was willing to go to the cross, to take that cup, to go all of the way so that our thirst could be met in him. Amen, church. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. As we get ready to close, Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.